This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions' three-part miniseries, Devout and Out. The show follows three LGBTQ individuals who have chosen to become or remain leaders in their respective churches. I've watched through this series twice, and it is easily one of the best series I've seen all year. It's smart, thought-provoking, conversation-launching, funny, heartwarming, and is going to show you a side of Canada you have never seen before. You can watch Devout and Out in Canada on the CBC Gem app or elsewhere in the world on YouTube. Enjoy. After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton, and this week I'm talking about the feature film Wrath, screening this week as part of TIFF 2019. My interview is with writer-director Harry Sepka. Raph tells the story of an artistically inclined woman, who some may call Meek, who works two dead-end jobs and lives in a basement suite in Vancouver, from which she is about to be evicted. When she meets brash, outgoing Tal, everything in Raph's world changes, but maybe not for the better. It's a quiet character piece filled with techno music, and it's sure to inspire post-viewing conversations. The character of Raph is played by 2016 TIFF Rising star Grace Glowicki, and Tal is played by Van Helsing series regular Jess Stanley. For the film Showtimes, make sure you check out TIFF.net. And if you're listening to this episode from outside Toronto or in the future, make sure you follow the progress of the film via the movie's website, RaphTheFilm.com. That's R-A-F-TheFilm.com. Or follow us on Twitter, at RCMPod, for when the film will be widely released. So, without further ado, here's my chat with Harry Sepka. I read a little bit in your, your director's notes about how this was a collaborative process between yourself and the two actors, Grace Glowecki and uh, Jesse Stanley. Can you talk a little bit about how the collaborative process worked in terms of putting a feature film together? A big part of this movie was founded in my friendships with both Grace and Jesse. So I've known them for 10 years. I've lived with each of them at some point. And so I, I know them really well. When I figured I had an opportunity to write and maybe shoot a feature, I wrote it for them. I didn't do any casting. I just said, hey, Grace, hey, Jesse, do you want to be in this movie I'm making? And it's going to be like a relationship between the two of you. And they said, yeah, of course. And then like, as we went through it, it, it kind of went a little bit more into like traditional writer, director to actor roles, but it started there. Because I'm curious about the fictionalization of it, because you talk about uh, that they're both very good friends of yours, you understand their strengths, and you're writing about two women who, in certain lights, are awesome, and in certain lights are absolutely horrible monsters. So (laughs) I'm curious as to where the fictionalization of that friendship started to happen in your head. So I cast them as Raph and Tal, respectively, and I knew that Jessie has this innate charisma to her, and that she's very comfortable with confrontation and just exudes a kind of stability and and charisma. And Grace, I know, has this kind of talent for being receptive to other people and kind of like vulnerable, but also sort of emotionally intelligent. And I think one of her kind of special skills is like her sensitive ability to kind of pick up on other people's states and respond to it. So those are like the core sensibilities that I I wanted to play with in, in this dynamic. In terms of the fictionalization, 
I wouldn't say that like anything out of their lives or experiences was really put into the movie. It, w- it was more sort of an emotional trajectory that I have experienced with other relationships of my own or seen in, in other friends' dynamics. So it wasn't so much like, okay, I'm going to take you guys and fictionalize your lives. It was more like I'm going to use you as complex characters who are going to explore this sensibility that I'm interested in. So when you start to get into some of the improv play aspects of the film, what did that end up looking like once you were in the editing suite? It was challenging sometimes, but it was also really fun. I would say the movie was mostly scripted, but the, the lines were very loose. So I'd say like the two most notable scenes are these scenes where Tal and Raph get to know each other, where Tal asks Raph a whole bunch of questions about her life. Um, In the script, that was just written as Tal asks Raph a hundred questions. And so I said, okay, let's set this up. And Jesse, you're just going to like rapid fire, ask Grace, whatever questions you can think of. And I think I gave some cues and some examples, but then we kind of played with it there. It did make it hard to edit sometimes because uh, we were in a hurry the whole time, so we didn't get coverage of every single version of every question. But then it kind of made it interesting because it was out of my hands sometimes. Like, whatever we had was what we got, and that kind of built the characters, too. Um, and so in the second kind of interrogation scene, that one was thought, uh, who played Tal's brother. He asked Raph, also, I say, ask her 100 questions. And I gave him a few examples of what had already happened with Jesse asking Grace those questions before. And he just kind of pulled them out of nowhere. And, and again, it took probably like a month to edit that scene, but it was, um, it was a good, fun month. Like, that's one of my favorite scenes. But really, I wanted to, like, work with the, the actor's strengths, which was improv and kind of a naturalistic, or just an ability to kind of exist in front of a camera. It makes me think of Sarah Polly doing stories we tell and the way she interacted with her father was she would ask him a question and then she would ask it again and then she would ask it again until she was getting into the very core root of them. So did you find yourself using some of the later questions where there was a more openness and more vulnerability or were there some from like right off the bat where you're like, that's a zinger, let's use that? We we would do it in the traditional sense where we, we would only have enough time to do maybe like per per person after every take i think i would adjust it and say okay let's go there like that question about you know red wine or white wine i really like that especially when you know grace at one point is holding a glass of white wine and she says red wine because she's nervous like i was like okay let's like let's channel that and go into that this episode of the royal canadian movie podcast is brought to you by archipelago productions For over 15 years, the team at Archipelago have been making groundbreaking and award-winning films, television, and corporate video. For brands like Google, Netflix, Etsy, Time Magazine, and the University of Toronto. Visit archipelagoproductions.ca to find out how they can help you elevate and execute your next video project. And we've talked a lot about the dynamic between the two women, which is clearly very strong. They're clearly friends in person. This is a character piece about one person. It's about Raph. That's why the title of the film is Raph. And then Tal sort of happens. And uh, like all the best character pieces, I feel like there's a really ambiguousness to how you personally will react to to Raph as a person and whether or not you cheer her on or whether or not you pity her or if you're feeling sort of all of those feelings all at once. When you approach a character piece and when when you're writing an actual human being that's meant to unfold in front of us... 
do you ever think about how the audience will think about them or are you just going to let this out into the into the world? I think that's one of those things where I wish I thought more about, okay, will the audience like the character or what will the audience think of the character? I don't think that that's the first thing that comes to mind when I'm when I'm trying to write someone. I, I think a lot of my approach to character is, I think people are more interesting in their flaws than in their good qualities. And maybe that says something kind of weird about me. In the things that I've created, it's all about kind of what's not working as opposed to what's working. So, I mean, with this movie, it's been a huge learning experience to kind of see what a character is after you've, you've written it, then you've cast it, and then you've shot it. You have all of And then even things like costumes and locations end up reflecting the character and building them into something that, you know, you could only guess at in the first stage of creation. So, yeah, Raph ended up being kind of a, a character that even I didn't know um, in the end. But I think that that's also what I find exciting about filmmaking. Like, I, I like not knowing what's going to happen and what I'm creating. Because I think if you already know everything, then you're not going to do anything new. And, and I think what I like about film is, like, seeing something depicted that I've not seen before. So in terms of, like, likable characters and such, I kind of wish I had more control over, you know, how these characters are perceived. But this is what came out. And I think, you know, I have to own that. And, and so I do. I think there's something, too, in that the idea of a likable character. I mean, Travis Bickle is not a likable character, but that's still a character study, right? It's yeah. just what we as the audience are interpreting out of that. And I think, I mean, Raph is not Travis Bickle, but <laughs> but she has as many as many sides as that where you can, again, you can pity her, you can enjoy her, you can root for her. Uh, there's, there's a complexity to it. There's just something about her where she feels very buffeted by the winds of fate until the very end when she goes, oh, this is what's happening and finally takes control of her life. Spoiler alert, go see the movie. It's playing at TIFF. You're going to love it. So I, I I think there's there's something I'm kind of fascinated with this. And we talked about things you've never seen before. And I actually lived in Vancouver for nine years. And I know these people that you're writing about. Interesting. So so what you're, what you're showing, it also exists in New York. It exists anywhere. There's like an economic divide between different artists and people who are creating things and, and more uh, creatively minded people um, who end up in party scenes. They end up making things. And I, I hadn't seen that portrayed in a movie before where you're seeing someone from the other side of the tracks attempt to enter a world, but attempt to enter a world artistically where someone almost wants to mentor them but doesn't have any idea what to do. Yeah. And that was sort of fascinating to me. And I'm sure you, having been in New York and been to NYU, you saw a little bit of that too. Do you think that's like a Canadian story? And what side of the divide do you see yourself on? Fairly universal in the sense of there's a wealth gap everywhere, especially in big cities, or at least it can be felt in big cities because people push up against each other. And often expensive neighborhoods are right next to less privileged areas. And um, you you get a, a much bigger flow of people crossing paths. And so I think in any big city in North America or, or in the West, I guess, in Europe, um, I think this story could be set easily. Vancouver is it's a city that's so dramatically narrativized as an unlivable city now. So it was very easy to put it here because everybody has an opinion about, uh, you know, housing prices and gentrification and, you know, what to do with uh, homelessness and everything. So I, it's not directly dealing with any of that, but I think that it's like, it's, it's a narrative that anybody could pick up on. Like, you know, there's a wealthy person and there's a working class person. What happens if they actually get along? And then what happens when the power dynamic sort of makes itself known? Um, 
So I don't think it's uniquely Canadian, but it is also specifically Canadian because, you know, this happens in Vancouver as it would happen in Toronto and I'm sure, you know, multiple other cities. I just kept feeling like Raf needed to move to Halifax. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like there are, there are places that are are less dramatic. Um, and, and you also hear narratives of artists leaving the expensive cities or the famous uh, Patti Smith saying, you know, if you want to be an artist, leave New York because it's not good for you, you, you know. And, and there's also lots of historical evidence of great periods of art coming out of cities with low rent. So this story is what happens when the rent is too high and you brush up against the people who don't care about that. I've been more fortunate in, in my adult life where I, I, you know, I'm not in the same position as Raf, but I did feel, especially kind of as a teenager, the very kind of intense and weird power dynamics of different people's different economic statuses, whether it was in my own high school, which is a public school, or sort of when I would brush up against private school kids. And then suddenly there was a kind of sense of entitlement and privilege that I haven't hadn't been exposed to. And then I went away to university in Montreal and I felt always kind of extremely intimidated by this uh, economic class of people that I had never really spent a lot of time with. So a lot of like that kind of inner anxiety of wrath kind of drawn from my experiences of not knowing how to behave in kind of elite situations. And the film itself just has such a great disparity in images because you're going from these like grand mountain schemes into her tiny little basement apartment at almost directly image for image. Um, so you're really seeing a lot of the contrast. And also in the music, you have like lots of EDM, lots of uh, electronic uh, music, and then you go into some more um, scored pieces and some more recognizable things. And you have a background as a music video director. And I'm wondering how much your knowledge of uh, music video and and the image and music combinations there influence this film. I haven't done too many music videos, but like I, I'm definitely, it's definitely a medium I'm fascinated with. Just growing up in Vancouver, you know, it has it has a scene and it's got a lot of culture, but it doesn't have a lot of support. And you always hear sort of despair from the music scene that you have to go elsewhere to become a musician. And then you know, a lot of culture is sort of imported here, so. Even people who live here don't really know what's going on here. And so you, you sort of imbibe European culture and especially American culture. And so kind of the idea behind a lot of the music is that Raph lives in this city and is far away from this kind of life that she might fantasize about, which is a life of music and clubbing and culture. So she kind of lives it vicariously in just alone when she's listening to it. And then in the one time she goes out and kind of encounters Tal at this nightclub. So it, it's kind of, it was kind of about like the fantasy of this cosmopolitan music that comes out of big capitals and other, other countries. And then the reality of being, you know, in a city that is almost further away from anywhere else than, than any other city, far Pacific North Coast, above America, far away from Europe, sort of, the, and, and just totally immersed in, this very um, dramatic natural environment. So I, I wanted to play with that contrast, yeah. Uh, I just have two more questions for you, and they are questions I ask all of my guests, uh, <laughs> slightly modified for our TIFF theme. Uh, the first one is, you're coming in for TIFF 2019. Congratulations, that's awesome. What are you excited to see at the festival? Um, one movie I would like to see very much is uh, Harriet by uh, Casey Lemons. She was a professor of mine uh, in film school. She's just... Uh, she was a really excellent teacher, 
And, you know, I think that's also an important story. It's exciting to see her get so much attention. So that's one. Um, and then, you know, I like to go see the, the wavelength stuff because it's so, you don't get to see that stuff in the theater that often. So just to be exposed to some kind of like adventurous aesthetic meanderings is really fun. Uh, and then my last question, what do you think Canada needs more of in order to be able to support its artists? Maybe it's a platitude, but risk taking and just putting more money into people who haven't necessarily gone through the, the labyrinth of institutions. So so I would say like the, the telephone micro budget fund is pretty exciting because because that is kind of one huge act of faith. And I think it's good, even if a lot of those movies don't even get made or, or aren't very successful, it gives people kind of a chance that otherwise probably wouldn't have had. Thank you so much, Harry. This was awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was, it was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.